This podcast is sponsored by Position Green. To be an insider, you can subscribe to the Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable, wherever you get your podcasts from. And please leave us a five-star rating. Welcome to the Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. Each and every podcast, hosts Mike Niemer and Greg Frank will bring you energy experts to help you better understand the renewable and sustainability space. Education's important to us because it's important to you, the listener. Now, here's Mike Niemer and Greg Frank. It is another edition of the Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. My name is Greg Frank. I'm hanging out with Mike on this episode of the podcast, but before we get to us, it's always ladies first, and Niemer, eRenewable COO, has a few words for us. Position Green helps companies build resilient and sustainable organizations. Position Green has a unique combination of ESG software, advisory, e-learning, and assurance that drives sustainability success and empowers positive change. Visit positiongreen.com to learn more. And we welcome you into episode 203 of the Green Insider, powered by eRenewable, alongside Mike Niemer. My name is Greg Frank. Mike, good to see you again. How are you doing? I am doing great. It's nice to be in studio, as always. Always is. And without further ado, we bring on our guest. He is the CEO at Power Analytics Software, Steve Burchett, joining us. Steve, good to see you. How are you doing? Hey, very good. Thank you for having us, Greg. So uh, I know you had a... Um, you and Mike have a little bit of a background together. You've known each other, but for people that are uh, need a refresher on kind of what you guys do and, and your background, why don't you get us started there? Sure, sure. Thank you. Well, first, thank you for having me here. Oh, my pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. Uh, first podcast. I'm a little nervous, but we're going to get right into it. Yeah, just first get into camera. it. No, I yeah. make a lot of bad jokes. <laughs> That's okay. It's Power That's Analytics okay. Software is a software company. Uh, and we sell software for folks in the energy industry, uh, people who need to understand nodal pricing, either to look back in time and understand what's driving historical prices, or to look f- uh, f- look into the future and see you know what what prices will be if we do different things, add different units or different lines. But basically, it's a, a way of generating electricity prices, a software program. Well, you know, when you and I talked back in uh, NEMA in May. You had a fascinating story about your father and how that kind of he got everything started and how you followed suit and went back and get a PhD. Tell we have a lot of new listeners since May. Please go ahead and tell your story again a little bit about that. Indeed, indeed. Both my parents are from upstate. Uh, no, I'm from upstate New York. Both of my parents are from West Virginia. Uh, my dad went to WVU with my mom, and uh, he ended up getting a PhD at uh, at Purdue. And then moved up to Schenectady, New York to work with GE, and he worked there for about 10 years. And Schenectady is a glorious town. When they drove up together, my mom saw the place for the first time. It was, uh, it was kind of shock to her, very industrial town. Uh, but we fell in love with it, and we're up in Saratoga now. You know, it's funny you bring that up because every summer, Mike knows this, I go to the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown for the uh, induction. And uh, one of the guys that is a part of the group, I've been going every year since 2009, one of the guys in our group is from the Niagara Falls area, but now lives in California and still comes out and uh, goes on the trip with us. And he once told me, and I'd like to get see if you can confirm this, that there's really four geographic designations with the state of New York. New York City, upstate New York, western New York, and the southern tier, which is everything west of New York City that borders Pennsylvania. Is that... <laughs> 
an accurate I like that. description. That's pretty good. I okay. haven't heard that stuff before, that one. but, okay. uh, but uh, definitely out west and upstate can mean Yonkers or uh, you know Syracuse. And, and that was the big thing. Are. Upstate kind of covers a lot of ground. It sounds like. So when my dad pulled up in there at about uh, 1977. Uh, it was a bit of a shock to him, and he worked for GE, and back in the 70s, GE was like mecca for power engineering. I mean, they're an amazing program there. I mean, that is the location where Thomas Edison used to build steam turbines that powered the power systems in Manhattan. And there's a guy named Charles Steinmetz there, who's uh, he's got a picture on my wall. Charles is the first guy that took those squiggly sine waves and, and thought about them as phasers, as just little arrows, made it a lot simpler. Uh, but big power engineering network up there. He worked for 10 years at GE and then went to work by himself. Uh, it was pretty big risk for him. Uh, and he left GE and uh, went to work actually for PTI as a contractor for a few years. And then, uh, uh, and then got connected with the folks that developed ProMod. And that's really where the story starts to begin. Uh, he developed the economic dispatch optimization engine, a little math engine inside of the ProMod program that let them take ProMod 3, which was a zonal production cost modeling software, and create ProMod 4, which is a nodal production cost software. And so a little bit more granular detail in terms of what you can see and, and look at and the results. And, and that was a big deal back in the uh, in the early 2000s. They went out and conquered the world with ProMod, and it's still the the model of choice in, in the big ISOs. So how did all of that, when you talk about some of that stuff that happened two, three decades ago, how did all that kind of help shape Power Analytics software and, and get you to where you are now? Oh, great question, Greg. My dad was uh, by himself for about 30 years, uh, about 35 years, I guess, if I do my math right. Uh, and in that time, he didn't spend a nickel on marketing or sales or anything. He got almost all of his business through word of mouth and really focused on the customer and delivering the things that the customer wants and putting little improvements inside of the program. And that let them develop an enormous customer base. In the beginning, our ProMod analysis tool, the PAT tool, uh, which goes with ProMod, was kind of an ancillary tool, you know, something that's kind of used on the side. Uh, but in the next 30 years, uh, yeah, he turned that thing into an essential part of using ProMod. Well, uh, so you, after college, did you join your dad right after college, or did you wait a little bit? Oh, I did not. I actually went to work for PSEG in North Jersey in their, uh, in their generating unit. Yeah, and their fossil fleet. I've worked in coal plants and combined cycles and gas turbines, and you know I've done majors and minors and all sorts of different maintenance activities. And uh, it, it's good. When I was in college, I, I worked as a crane technician with my brother, and it was a very greasy job. And it, it really drove home the need to you know stay in school and do very well. Uh, you know, it's important to. Uh, I, I enjoy uh, not getting hurt every day and you know, hurt my fingers. This, <laughs> there you it's go. pretty tough work. Well, I remember on our previous talk that we had at the NEMA conference, you talked about you came to work for your dad, and then you went back to get a Ph.D. That's right, yeah. I worked for three years with PSEG and their fossil fleet, and then I worked for three years with, uh, with a company called Green Charge Networks. They built battery systems. They were eventually bought by Engie. I think you guys hosted their CEO a little while ago. And then I, uh, I went... I, you know, I had a conversation with my dad, and we decided I was going to take over the company eventually, and uh, you know, that I, I had a whole lot to learn. I was a mechanical engineer by training, 
And so he sent me back to school. I went to RPI, which is a small school in upstate New York, yeah. and got a PhD there and worked for a guy named Joe Chow. And it was just a really wonderful experience. I got to meet a lot of great folks and develop a lot of cool stuff. So how long have you been uh, CEO of Power Analytics? Going on four years now. Four it's years. It's funny how fast time flies. And well, you had to also navigate the pandemic through all that also. Indeed. So, indeed. Well, you had a good introduction. Like going to college again, having to learn <laughs> navigate those waters. So tell us what you guys see now in the sustainable, renewable market that you see that there's an opportunity in and what's driving your company to go that direction or to work focus on a certain item? Oh, that's a great question, Mike. Great. Uh, I think batteries is probably one of the most important things on the horizon right now. I think they're getting a lot more attention. There's been some regulatory changes that are really going to incentivize construction of new batteries, and it's all the rage. The hard part is finding out where you're going to build these things and predicting accurately what the revenue from these different uh, from the different revenue streams that are out there uh, will be. It's hard to quantify how much money this battery system will make when you put it in the ground. There are a lot of different operating modes. There are a lot of, you know, you could get energy or you can get ancillary service revenue. You know, there are a lot of different uh, streams out there. And most of the production cost models that are out there right now have room for improvement when it comes to their battery modeling. Well, when we talk about battery modeling, you've said a couple things I want to bring up. Um, when you first talked about figuring out where's the best place to put it. So you're talking about where in one area, they're going to pay the battery owner so many cents a kilowatt. In another area, they're going to pay them either more or less. Is that correct? Sure. And sure. so go through how that, the math of all that works and the complexity of all that. Then we'll come back around to ancillary services after that. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's good. It's hard to find the right sites when we, we live in a nodal market. Uh, where folks can participate at a node and they purchase and sell their power at that node. Uh, you know, loads will pay on a zonal basis, but generators get to pay nodal. And uh, when these batteries come in, like all renewable generation and thermal generation also, it's hard to find the right places to build. They've got a land guy that's running out there finding fields where you can put up solar units or parking lots where you might be able to install a battery system and they need to figure out which of these locations is going to be the most lucrative for me. And one way of doing that would be to go off of nodal prices that are published by the ISO, and they don't publish too many of them, but the ISOs are the market administrators that kind of administer the day ahead and real-time markets that these, uh, that these generators and batteries are going to have to uh, participate in. So it's hard to find the right locations, and what we do with our software is we let you evaluate lots of different options. If you've got 50 different sites, our software, in tandem with ProMod, our software will help you to narrow your focus down to maybe three good sites, which you can do full-blown analysis on and do a proper ProMod run on each of those sites, uh, you know, with custom, custom files and stuff. So if you're, you're out in West Texas, I'll just make up something. Sure. And... Uh, the land guy says, I've got two pieces of property you could build on. Is there sometimes a big difference between oh, how much they can get? Give yeah. us an example. Yeah, and absolutely. how close in proximity to each other 
can they be? Sure, it can be quite close in proximity. Uh, uh, there's a generating station in, in North Jersey that uh, you know is in the same facility, but one set of the units goes to one transmission interconnection, and the other output goes to a different section. And so you'll have radically different prices, even though they're quite close together physically. Uh, you just have this transmission congestion where you get these branches, these transmission lines, and the flow on those lines hits their limit. And they, uh, you know, the ISO, you know, their main job is to keep the lights on and to not kill anybody. And really, it's the flows on the lines. That's the big problem. You don't want too much power flow going over a branch, and it'll get hot and start to flex and bend down and maybe zap somebody on the ground. You don't want that to happen. So it's, it's really a flows problem at the core of, of our siting. Uh, you need to make sure that the flows all remain beneath their limit. But the problem is on the eastern interconnect, the eastern side of the country, you've got 100,000 branches in your network model. It's a really nasty problem to think about. So you've got to judiciously pick and choose which branches you want to monitor and make sure we keep below their limits. You can't just take everybody in there. You know, it'd take you forever to solve the problem if you're looking at everybody. So tell us a little bit more. The company's been around, you said, for four years about the DNA of the company and the staff and kind of what the day-to-day -day operation looks like. Sure, absolutely. So we've, uh, we've grown considerably in the last two or three years. My dad was a one-man shop by himself, I guess. That's kind of implied for, uh, for about 30. And we've, uh, we've got 10 non-Burgets working for us right now. Uh, and we're developing the next generation of our software. We're all remote, everybody's all over the place. And we've hired folks one at a time and just have a real deep relationship with each of these people. And we're building a good culture. It's, uh, it's important to, uh, to focus on the right things. And you know, selling software is kind of a, a cake job, right? Like my brother with the crane company I was talking about, you know, when he sells a, a new crane, he's got to go make a design and buy steel and cut it and ship it and, you know. When I sell software, I can just click, you know, shift another one. It's a pretty, yeah. pretty straightforward business. But that lets us take our time and focus on things that are important. And so for the last two years, we've been rewriting all of our software. And we're putting it in the latest technology, the latest GUI and API that will let you use this new piece of uh, software effectively. And, uh, and so we've been, we've been betting the farm, so to speak, on uh, the next generation of our software. We're pretty excited about it. Well, you know, that was a great answer to a good question from Greg. But I want to get back to the topic of ancillaries that you brought up on the battery. We've not had anybody really tell the listeners what, you hear the word ancillary, what's it really mean? What's involved in that? Give sure. us a lesson. Well, this is a good segue. Yeah, it's, uh, it's something that we hope to capture in future generations of the program. And ancillary, ancillary services are, are things that are only needed for reliability. So when the, when the ISO, and I'm a New York ISO guy, when the ISO administers their markets, you know, they're making sure that the lights stay on and that nobody... Uh, you know, all the flows remain beneath their limits. Nobody gets, gets killed. Uh, they have a two-settlement market. They have a day-ahead market and a real-time market. In the day-ahead, they'll settle, you know, 24 hourly periods, and they'll try to get a good estimate for how much load and how much generation and just give everybody a little bit of heads up to do their work at the power plants. And then in real-time, 
you know, after the day ahead is settled, in real time, there'll be a kind of a scrolling window. It's, it's real time. You know, we're looking out two and a half hours, and the first five minutes, you know, the first three five-minute results from that two and a half hour look ahead are binding, and you go through those five-minute periods, and you keep doing it. Uh, and so, really, it's, you know, the, the unexpected things that happen in real time are what drive the need for ancillary services. Ancillary services are, are not used any time other than in real time. When we do production cost modeling, when we use ProMod to look into the future, uh, you know, we, we kind of take these ancillary services and just put them on a shelf. We don't actually use them. Even in the day-ahead market, when the ISO publishes the results, they take those, res those services and put them on the side. It's only in real time when things are different from what you expected them to be is when ancillary services come in. There are a few different types of those. There's regulation. There's spinning reserve, there's following and blackout start. I think the ISO, New York has maybe six of those different ancillary services. But in a nutshell, they're designed for reliability. If everything, if nothing ever tripped and nothing was ever unexpected, we wouldn't need ancillary services. So they only come into play when there's been an issue. Exactly. That's exactly right. When a big generator goes offline, we have spinning reserve and non-spinning reserve. We have reserve megawatts, other units that are standing by to be able to come online very quickly. So you take the largest unit in the uh, large nuclear unit in New York, you know, maybe it's a thousand megawatts. And we say we've got to have 1500 megawatts of, you know, of reserve ready to come online in case that biggest unit trips off. That reserve is one type of ancillary service. Another, which I think batteries will be great for, is regulation. Regulation right now is where you have different generators, just a few generators that the ISO actually has direct control over. There is a hard line to those generators called AGC, Automatic Generator Control. And the ISO will dial those generators up and down directly. And you can imagine someone in Albany in their control room doing that and you being in a plant in Ravenswood and Queens and watching them dial that unit up and down. It's a little bit disconcerting, but that's the way the system works. And so what happens is when loads unexpected or outages occur or bad things happen, the entire eastern interconnect, our entire network will react to that. All the generators will pick up if a, a certain generator has fallen down or you know, the frequency will dip a little bit. And the, the operators and the ISO keep track of that. They want to keep, I think about it like a, one of those dials, you know, you got a round dial and you got a bar right in the middle, that's at 60 hertz. When something bad happens, it'll deviate away from 60 hertz, a little bit to the right or a little bit to the left. And they use regulation to correct that. If, if it's dipping to the left, they'll use regulation to turn up these generators and it'll bring it back to 60 hertz and that's how they they control the, the grid well, now we know about ancillaries that's See, right thank you so that's perfect for batteries i'm sorry to interrupt you but i think a battery system that's so fast and reactive will be perfect for that and the hard part is actually capturing ancillary service revenue in your models what we do is we look at energy there's energy and ancillary service, and we're great at energy, and that's a very complex problem. You've got generator costs and operating parameters, load forecasts, renewable forecasts, transmission lines. Which transmission lines are you going to monitor? What's your network look like? Are there retiring generators that you need to account for or a new build that you expect to come online? Same thing with transmission lines. Energy is a 
tough nut to crack. And you want to throw on top of that ancillary service and really model that correctly, that's quite a difficult task. Steve, last one for me. Just on a personal level, you talked about the non-Berkshits you have at the company, but you've talked a lot about the influence your dad had on kind of your career path as well. Just what's it mean to you and, and, and just the family to kind of uh, keep that name in good standing? <laughs> it's, it's great. I, I love what I do. I love working with my dad. He's a wonderful man. I hope I can be like him one day. It's, uh, it's, it's wonderful to work with him, and I'm, I'm proud of his name. You know, it's the, uh, the old country song. Even though our styles aren't exactly the same, uh, that's a good one. He, uh, yeah, he's kind of riding off into the sunset a little bit, gets to focus on what he likes to do, and he's doing full-blown development and adding all these features into it. Uh, and it's really just, it's excellent to watch him do what he loves. And I, I've been given an awful lot over my life. I know that. And I'm, I'm hopeful that I can deliver on what I've been given and uh, take this company to new heights. Well, the short six or nine months that you and I have known each other, I think you're doing your father proud, and he should be proud of you because <laughs> I know you're proud of him. And I look forward to having you back on the show again, my friend. Very good. Thank you, Mike. There he is, Steve, Steve Burchett, the CEO at Power Analytics Software. For Mike Niemer, I'm Greg Frank. This has been episode 203 of The Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. Everybody, make sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from. Leave us a five-star rating because, as the saying goes, you learn something new every day. And we were responsible for today's lesson. Again, he's Mike Niemer. I'm Greg Frank. That'll do it for us on this episode of the podcast. This has been The Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. We'll talk to you next time. This podcast was sponsored by Position Green. For an introduction to our sponsor or find out how you too could be a sponsor, refer to our show notes to contact eRenewable and the Green Insider Podcast. 